not good enough. An inadequate response to inadequate responses. I'm Mitch Alexander. I'm Tom Lang. And I'm Evie. Tom McLean is out on assignment this week, but as always, we have Isaac in our headphones, fact-checking and keeping an eye on the fluctuating market prices of a cap of cocaine. Mm. (laughs) I love to have a cap of cocaine. I... I'm always out on at the town being like, excuse me, good sir or madam, do you have a cap of your finest cocaine? Oh. Which is a unit of measurement used for cocaine. <laughs> We're too online to explain this joke until later. <laughs> yeah, I don't even want to explain it at all. But if you ever if, if anyone ever asks you for a cap of cocaine when you're out, just know that they're likely a senior journalist paid way too much for their position. Our listeners are going to think people are always asking us for caps of cocaine now. <laughs> um, anyway, that <laughs> joke, without context, is not playing for anyone, so let's move on. <laughs> uh, let's open the podcast today with some listener feedback. We've always said that we really love listener feedback, so thank you so much for getting in touch with us. We really love it. We love to hear from you. Um, slide into our DMs anytime. Um, so (laughs) two listeners have in fact, um, well, one slid into our DMs and one has added us, um, disagreeing with our takes on the Victorian quarantine program that we spoke about a couple of episodes ago. And they have reason to do so because one of them actually works in HQ. Um, so I'm just going to read out exactly what they said straight up just because, um, (laughs) yeah. Our track record on this is so bad that people have to correct us. So let's just go straight from the correction just to be safe. Look, I appreciate the correction and I would rather have someone correct us and tell us like the exact thing than us like, you know, reading a media report and wildly speculating. So, um, so Which is what we usually do. Yeah, that is the podcast though. So thank you for the correction. So this is just what they said, word for word. Uh, They work in quarantine and they get swapped every shift um, and – They've said, just to clarify, nobody is now working a second job in the Victorian quarantine program. It's also in the contract that it's not allowed after last time's fuck up by DHHS. It isn't run by that department anymore either. There's now, uh, just to um, add some context, there's now a separate department for COVID-19 quarantine. Um, So the reason why they pay um, quarantine workers a lot more now is to remove any incentive to work a second job. So they've actually taken that extra step to fix the problem they had last time so they don't have that fuck up again. Yeah, so that's great. Yeah, that's it's excellent. And so they said if if I ever have to quarantine myself for 14 days, uh, quarantine workers have hotel rooms of doing it at home is not doable because like some of them have housemates. Um, mm-hmm. And they've also said there's a lot of like crap in the papers. Some of it's correct, some of it's bullshit. You can, I think that's like a reasonable expectation to have of papers covering something that is government business as well. Um, mm. And they said, yes, there are fuck-ups yeah. because, of course, that's going to happen. We're learning about the virus and how it's evolving and we're always going to end up working uh, reactively until we have proper vaccine saturation and or effective treatment. Hmm. Um, so yeah, thank you so much for getting in touch with us. It's really good to know that there are measures in place to not only protect the, or do, do as many measures as possible to protect the virus from getting outside of quarantine, but also to protect workers who are there. Like I, I, I'm really pleased like, you know, the, the quarantine workers are full-time well-paid and also, you know, taking as many measures possible for them not to get sick too. So good on them. Yeah, it's really good. And we do always like to get information because we are just a bunch of people who most of the time don't know what we're talking about. Um, (laughs) And if you have inside information in anything, 
you probably know more than we do, and then we can pass it along. Um, these are these are all the measures that that we we've talked about, and I think we didn't realize that so many of them had been put in place recently. Um, I think after the the November review came out into quarantine hotels. Yeah. I just pictured Dan Andrews being like, don't make this public. We need to keep the podcast economy alive. <laughs> <laughs> we also had um, the uh, friend of the pod, Tara Neep. She got in touch with us clarifying much the same thing. Um, she's actually written a blog post about the difficulties of the uh, a fly-in, fly-out approach to quarantine and the downsides mm. of hosting a quarantine site remotely. Um, so we'll put the link in the show notes. Thank you so much again for getting in touch with us. So some other big news this week, uh, unfortunately really bad news. Um, there has been an ongoing campaign by various social groups, um, the Australian Unemployed Workers Union, and, and just generally just the campaign is to keep the coronavirus supplement increase that was made to JobSeeker uh, for mm-hmm. most of 2020. Um, it allowed people to come out of poverty. Um, it gave them dignified lives uh, and as we know now that the job seeker increase is coming to an end, um, the campaign has been to increase the rate so that it is eighty dollars a day. Unfortunately, this week the government has raised the rate of job seeker by three dollars fifty seven a day, which is nowhere near anything <sighs> that will allow people to be lifted up out of poverty or even to mm. the poverty line. It is just unbelievably grim. Yeah, currently Job Seeker is hovering somewhere around the $40, $50 mark we need at le- per day. We need at least another $30 or $40 a day. They've given us three. Yeah, it's, it's, it's just cruel. It, the, the idea that like they would give that so much tiny little bit, not even like an inflation increase mm. a day is just, yeah. It's pathetic. The thing for me is that that number, it's so infinitesimally small that I can't help but think it's anything but a targeted spit in the face to advocates and poor people. Yeah. Mm. Like, they they may have been better off. I mean, no, because they want to be cruel and they want to be seen to be cruel. But, like, if they did nothing, if they didn't raise the rate of job seeker whatsoever, mm. it would have been like, oh, we don't think we can afford it. It's not that much, blah, blah, blah. But there's no way you can spin such a small amount to be mm. good. This is a way for them to give the middle finger to advocates and say, shut the fuck up, you will get what you're given. And it's a way to look at poor people and go, you need to remember who the fuck you are and your position in this society. It's, it's, it's just cruelty. Because they were, they were teasing the whole time. Well, we're going to raise the rate. We're going to raise the rate. How much are we going to raise it per day? Three fifty a day. So the government is also starting, uh, in a complimentary measure, in the worst sense of the word, a <laughs> Dobbin Dole Bludger hotline. Now, this is language that's being used by the media to describe this hotline. Um, but I just want to go into detail about what this hotline is actually for. So the hotline is basically for businesses to use to say, <sighs> A job seeker has refused this job that I offered to them. Uh, it's de- <laughs> yeah. mm. and and then if they do that, they presumably get their Centrelink cut off. Yes, it, it's like the, obviously there are no details as yet, but you can extrapolate mm. the worst possible circumstances of what this hotline is actually for. Of like, oh, look at these mm. ungrateful job seekers not giving them the jobs that they've been in, like you know being generously given to them by businesses. Maybe we'll do like a three strikes and you're out of not getting any more mm. job seeker as a result. Or like, uh, it, it just it just boggles the mind when you think about like you know the kind of circumstances in which someone 
who is unemployed and has been long-term unemployed will refuse a job. You can think of so many circumstances. You don't even have to scrape the barrel. This is a basic thing. Yeah. This is, it, it, it strikes me as well uh, that, like, part of the messaging of this is, like, you know, if a worker is, like, able to take the job and if they're qualified for it and they don't, then the boss can dob them in. It's like, can we not have the people whose incentive it is is to just crush as many workers as possible, deciding who's qualified and not as well. Like the idea that bosses are just like, I reckon you could work for me. And it's like, sorry, no, that's not how that fucking works. Yeah. And a whole bunch of stories have come out on like social media from people being like, yeah, I was qualified for a job and I could take it. And on my first day there, the boss was a massive fucking creep who kept me trapped in a room and I did not feel comfortable there whatsoever. And mm. I absolutely would not work there. And if this if this job dobber, which is they're calling a hotline, comes in, then that boss can just like as a punitive petty measure call up mm. the government and be like, mm, they didn't want the job, and they yeah. get their services cut, they get their money cut off. It's from only them. it's only ever someone who has never had a bad job who can't conceive of how a boss would <laughs> yeah, have yeah. retribution against you. Mm. I've had like quite a few of those jobs where I just know like. I would never be able to get a reference because my boss is that much of a dickhead and would just say, fuck you. I'm not going to yeah. give you a reference. Have mm. fun trying to find a job. Or, like, there, are 100%, that's a really good point I haven't thought of. The other part of it, though, is that there are some people out there who really think bosses should just have that power. Yeah. yeah. Like, they, like, you should just be thankful for whatever scraps you get as a worker and you should just take whatever job you get. Like... There's so much bootlicking on the timeline about this fucking thing. <laughs> it's like, well, why don't you just take the job, though? Go on. You need a job. This is entirely designed to punish the the mythical doll bludger who gets offered a good job and goes, nah, I'd rather sit at home below poverty wages. Like, this, if if no one is out there being offered a good job and then refusing it and then that good job goes unfilled, good jobs go to people. Everyone wants a good job. If you go in... And and you're offered a good job and you don't take it, presumably there's some reason. Yeah. If you go in and you refuse a job, it's probably a bad job or a job that doesn't suit you or you can't get to or there's something wrong for it. It's not the job you thought it was. Um, and those are the only jobs that are going to be going onto this hotline. It's It's entirely... Yeah. Not only not fixing a real problem, but creating a, a new problem. And I fucking bet it is going to cost us millions of dollars that we could just give to job seekers. <laughs> <laughs> you know what really makes me laugh too, like in the grimmest possible way, once again, is that <laughs> even the businesses who this would supposedly benefit <sighs> don't want it. Like it's just so yeah. funny yeah. that even the chief executive of the Australian Retailers Association is like, this may lead to bogus claims and add to the stress some people face in their search for employment, <laughs> which could ultimately undermine their confidence and their employment prospects. The boss of all the bosses <laughs> is literally saying, we don't want this because it's going to undermine people looking for jobs. I, what That's do you even say to point. that? <laughs> If, if I own a business and I interview someone and I think they're good, but then they actually don't think the job is appropriate for them, I don't want them to take the job because they won't be happy here. I, I don't want to waste my time on an employee who doesn't want to be here. But this is going to like, 
get workers to agree to jobs that they are not good for. This is going to be worse for businesses because they no longer have that feedback of, hey, do you want the job? No? Okay, we'll give it to the second person yeah. who presumably does want the job. Uh, it actually reminds me of like when I first moved to Melbourne and I couldn't immediately get like, you know, office jobs in my particular field. So I had to go back to working retail in the same way that I was when I was at uni. Um, and like my resume definitely looked way too much for someone who's just going to work at Chemist Warehouse. But I needed the job. I needed to pay the bills. Uh, like Centrelink was not going to be enough to pay my rent and bills and food and that sort of thing. And I was just willing to take any retail job. And I just remember my boss at the pharmacy I ended up working at for like, you know, a couple of months being like, okay, so I know you have training, but also I know that you're going to leave in a couple of months anyway. Like, you know, why should I waste my time doing like all the paperwork and stuff for someone who's just going to leave anyway? It's just like a waste of Mm. my time. Luckily, like he gave me the benefit of the doubt and I like, you know, I got the job then for like, you know, that temporary period of time. But most Mm. job, uh, most bosses are in that same frame of mind. If they know that someone's like, you know, what they perceive to be overqualified, they're not going to waste their time for it. If someone doesn't really want that job and want to be there, it's the whole, like, does this person really want to work for me mentality. So, yeah, it, it's just, it's so stupid. Like, it, it's it's going to waste so many people's time. It's so petty and cruel. Ugh, yeah. They've created a system that will only be used by shit people. Yes. <laughs> Biggest snitches. This is the thing, though, is that they also keep creating systems that the people in those systems don't want like even in the fucking fossil fuel realm they're like offering subsidies (laughs) they're offering subsidies to these different projects that the people that like may run the project we don't want to do this project please don't do this and they're just like half a million dollars for a new gas field Uh, no why like yeah yeah what is what are they trying to do i think you know what this is again this is fucking hog whistling this is they're not talking to the voters (laughs) they're not talking to the businesses they are just talking to their donors (laughs) They are just talking to the horrible, rich, old people who are like, yeah, fuck poor people. This government's doing bad stuff to poor people. Here's some more money. A lot of this stuff can be explained if you adopt the mindset that they aren't indifferent to the poor and suffering. They actively hate them. I'm just throwing it out there again. McLean's not here to argue this one. We're not doing that. <laughs> <laughs> um, the other thing... The other thing I wanted to do, I wanted to go into um, Mitch's theory corner, which is right across the room from Evie's sports corner, but it's like the intro music's played on a lute and a harp instead of a gross electric guitar, Evie. Also, you guys are hiding because you're afraid I'm going to go beat you up. (laughs) (laughs) But another, another thing that's been annoying me about this sort of shit is that... The whole point of a like an unregulated libertarian free market, which the mm. Liberal Party say that they love, mm. is that the worker is supposed to be able to pick and choose his jobs. The whole thing yeah. is that the market figures itself out because it goes, oh, well, if this person is running a shit business or if this work is too qualified, then they can move around and they can take whatever sort of job they want. And they clearly don't even believe in that type of ideology because the, this doesn't do that. This locks people into shit jobs and it allows work uh, allows bosses way too much power over people and it curbs the exact power that theoretically is supposed to help balance the market. And again, that doesn't make any economic sense, but it makes a whole heap of sense if you think that they're satanic and that they feed <laughs> off of the suffering of people in our society. Like, it's yeah. just... it's it, that I always get annoyed by that sort of stuff. It's like, uh, my degree isn't good for much, 
but it is really, really good for getting me angry when out of all of the shit things that the Liberal Party do, they're also not theoretically consistent. God damn it. Get your academic ducks in a row at least. Um, I want to be I want to be furious at a party that at least has some sort of philosophically like uh, stable foundation to the arguments they're making. But these fucking dog shit idiots are just like, ah, whatever, fuck poor people. Ha-ha. It is absolutely like, sorry. Hmm. No go, I'm dumb. Fuck. Ooh, I'm- <laughs> just you wait. Later in the episode you'll hear it yet again. It's it's fine, man. I can, I can stop for a bit. Yeah, it, it just I I love how this is just totally like angering up the blood. It's just like one of those things where it's just like, man, fuck you. What the hell? Well, <laughs> It is absolutely just one step away from you have to take this job. Like, like currently we're allowing we're allowing people to like leverage workers with with money, but the workers can choose not to take that money if they can somehow afford not to. But now we're saying, oh, you didn't want to take the money. Well, now you're fucked. Um, and that is literally a step away from being like, you know, we won't even leverage you with money anymore. You have to go work at this job or you get fucking arrested or deported or something. Out of all of this as well, we almost had some really, really good news with this whole thing. Um, and yet again, the Labor Party fucked it. Um, <laughs> I'm shocked. <laughs> so on the 24th of February... Uh, Green Senator Rachel Seward, who is just a fucking mm. gun. She's so fucking cool. Queen. Like, she is just the best. Yeah. She's someone I would unironically say yes, Queen, about. <sighs> so, she <laughs> put forward a motion on the 24th of Feb in the Senate to move that the Senate, and I'm going to just read it, A, notes that the government is making a deliberate choice to keep people on the job seeker payment living in poverty by keeping the payment below the poverty line, mm-hmm. and B, calls on the government to immediately revise its announcement and urgently increase job seeker payments to above the poverty line. Pretty basic stuff. The Labor Party fucking voted for it. They agreed with that. (laughs) And we got 31 eyes, 30 no's, and it really did look like the fucking Labor Party stepped up and they were listening. I mean, (laughs) essentially, yes, on fucking everything. They have to be pushed up. But I... I got really emotional that night. Like, I've had, you know, we've all been, had a lot of fucking stress after 2020. We're all dealing with a lot of shit. And this, to me, really hit me in terms of, like, like the Liberal Party are fucked. The mm. raise was not nearly enough. It was a real gut punch. And then to have this glimmer of hope that the ALP were going to finally make this a huge campaign. They were going to step up and say, yes, it has to be $80 a day because that's the poverty line. We're going to work with people. We're going to increase it by not $3 a day, but by $39 a day. Fuck yeah, let's let's go. And instantly, instantly, the Labor Party just shit the bed and ruined (laughs) the whole thing. The very next day, it was reported that Labor Shadow Minister for Families and Social Services and for Preventing Family Violence, Linda Burney, said that they will support the government's bill mm. for the $50 a fortnight, the $350 a day increase, and they refused to commit to fighting for an actual number again. They refused to say that they will fight for $80 a day, saying Labor will work in every budget, every moment that we can on alleviating poverty within Australia. Hollow nothingness. Presumably, except for this moment. <laughs> Remember, like, for that five seconds when it was what it was like to have an opposition party? 
It felt good. <laughs> I felt fired up. I was not about to volunteer for the Labour Party, but I was about to walk in lockstep with them, being like, fuck yeah, let's go. You have a coalition of people who have fought tooth and nail for basic human dignity, and you get this close... And- this is the thing that got me about this fucking vote is that the ALP are so fucking hollow and spineless that they only ever vote on things when there will be no consequences for the vote. Every single time. I actually just want to talk about this vote just for a second because something that really shat me about the actual vote process. Um, so Sally McManus, um, the, um, the secretary of the ACTU, um, thanked every single Labor MP who voted for it individually in tweets, which, cool, thank you. Tweet thread, one of 34. Thank you. Thank you for thanking them for the bare minimum. And Sally, like, say a number, mate. Say a number. If you reckon that we want an increase, say a goddamn number. Did not say a number. Reckon you could say one number? Don't think so. Look, the the a union is saying a number. <laughs> the AUWU is saying eighty dollars a day. How about you support a union, Sally, and say a number? <laughs> it's just yeah. such shit as well because the eighty dollar the eighty a day campaign is based on raising welfare to just above the poverty line. Like they're, yeah. they're not asking for like a lavish lifestyle. That is just the number that it needs to be raised to. And it's literally all- the minimum. All of the Labour messaging is just... It, they take this line as well every so often where it's like, well, we're not in power, so we can't do costing properly, so we're not going to. And it's like, well, I'm sorry, if the Australian Unemployed Workers Union can figure out the fucking number, why do you pay so many fucking think tanks and researchers? Like, yeah. there's a poverty line and there's the Australian dollar's buying power. And you just sort of look at that and you draw a line between the two and you're, oh, $80 a day. It's not hard, guns. Actually, Mitch, you raise a great point too because there's once this this thing about, oh, yeah, well, we're not in power, therefore we don't actually have to run the numbers on this. The Greens, and like I've got plenty of criticism about the Greens in other respects, but one thing I will say about the Greens is that they always come up with like fully costed proposals on policy when in this regard. They come up with like, you know, when it comes to like the Green New Deal, when it comes to all these sorts of things, they cost the policy if they're going to put it forward. You can put that policy forward and cost it. So apparently the reason why they don't want to do that is because last election they did that and they lost. And so now they're going, oh, well, let's not cost anything. Oh, yeah, that must that's... have been the reason they lost. I know. I know. Like, it's just the idea that the reason why you lost is because you figured out how much policy would cost and not, oh, I don't know, how you sell the policy. Maybe it's the media landscape that doesn't want any sort of left-wing reform. Maybe it's anything else other than, oh, we can't be seen to be fighting for people on cost of measures. It like, was oh. gross spinelessness, massive electoral corruption, and the fact that the Labor Party, despite having some costed policies, didn't really actually put forward anything that inspired people in any way. Um, Imagine inspiring people. (laughs) No. (laughs) I think the costing thing, honestly, I don't even... I don't think most people care about costed policies. I think... The, this whole emphasis on Labor being like, well, we don't know how much it costs. Oh, we're not a government. We can't make a complex policy. That's the whole point. You're the opposition. What you can do is say, right. people are dying. This is what it will take for people to not die. Let us do that. And yeah. then you find the money. The money can always be found. <laughs> and this isn't even an expensive thing. Friggin' raising... Raising... Um, welfare to a livable rate would cost <laughs> less 
than fucking non-existent submarines uh, that we keep throwing money at. But no one ever asks, where's the costing for these imaginary submarines, do they? Yeah, they, they just give $90 billion to Lockheed Martin, and that's cool. <laughs> I don't want to get all fucking, like, labour diehard broken-brained on this, but, like, Albo, just lie to me. <sighs> Just pretend. Tell me sweet lies, Albo, please. I'm begging Just you. Just have a stance. In the same way Abbott can sit, stand there and go, no, no, no cuts to ABC or SBS, yeah. no cuts to Medicare. And we're all like, oh, that motherfucker's going to cut ABC and Medicare. Do that. <laughs> At least give me some good right. feelings as we move into the fucking hell decade that we're in. 80 a day. Just say it. We don't think you're going to actually do it unless you form a minority government with the Greens anyway. You've proven track record is that you will not do anything good unless you're fucking forced to so just lie to me just give me the 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 the, the appearance <laughs> of an opposition party doing something different as opposed to just saying this is the other thing as well on today we're recording at 28th for some reason i was on twitter which i shouldn't be and i saw a clip for insiders which i shouldn't have watched and i did and i've, I've had a stroke but albo <laughs> was on there mm. talking about this and one of the things he said was we won't be blocking any increases to, to increase the payment. As an excuse to not saying anything about what they would actually fight for. Well, everyone should be above the poverty line, David, but it's a matter of the specific circumstances in which you can do that. But if you use and the OECD's uh, calculation, that works it, out at about $65 a day in Australia. Is that about right? Well, it, it is disingenuous, David, uh, to play games and to try to... Uh, say, therefore, that, that we are in a position uh, to do that from opposition. We're not. Uh, we'll be voting, we'll be certainly not blocking uh, any increase. And, and we'll be making okay. our decisions, our decisions about uh, what levels uh, payments should be on, whether it be pensions or unemployment benefits or other payments, on an annual basis. Uh, that's what we'll do each and every year uh, under a government that I lead. It's just... It's it's gotten to a level where it's 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 actually mind-boggling the amount that what are we paying the ALP for at this point? He says we're not a government. Oh, we can't have any policies. We can't say anything about what the government is doing. We can't really stand up for anything. What do we pay you for? Because let's be quite honest, like you're not the 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 party that's making the like main decisions. You're not the party in power. You are fucking in government. The opposition party is part of the government. You have seats in that room where people talk and argue and do votes on things. That's in government. The Greens <laughs> do more than you, and they are way more of a minority party. And they're having to like to to go back on on this thing that, that Rachel Seward put forward. This absolutely blew my mind because it's... You know that meme with Phoebe and Joey? Uh, <laughs> we should put a link out. to the meme in the show notes um, <laughs> where she's basic... Rachel Seward's like, okay, okay, Labor. A, the government <laughs> is making a choice to keep people on JobSeeker below the poverty line. And Labor's uh -huh. like, yes, that's true. Yep. And she says, B, uh -huh. we should have people... On job seeker payments above the poverty line. And they're yep. like, yeah, true. And she's like, so we should increase job seeker to above the poverty line. And he's like, oh no, we can't commit to that. Yeah, and he's like, 357 a day. <laughs> <laughs> and and they no. they they dragged Labour through this, like, okay, people need food to die to live. 
so we should give them food. And Labor's like, I guess that's true. And then afterwards, Labor's basically like, oh, they tricked us into doing the decent thing. Nah, 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 nah. Nah, we can't be having that. And the thing, the, the thing I want to put forward as evidence of the fact that this vote was hollow from the Labor Party is that we talked about last week how Christina Kirscher Keneally made a like tried to score political points on wedging the Greens on a procedural ground and then lying about how they wouldn't vote to recognise grieving families. Yeah. So the ALP are fully aware of what these votes do, how to use them, and when they will move the needle and when they won't. So this is just, in my mind, this is just as cynical. The fact that they know that this Senate motion won't actually force the government to do anything. So they can happily just put forward, like, yeah, we stand with workers. Albo, on your side, which is the campaign that they're running at the moment. He's on your side. He's the last person. Pick a side. (laughs) He's the last person you picked for soccer, though. He's useless. You wouldn't put him in goalie. You'd put him on, like, the midfield. And he'd just sort of be there and he'd play with the worms in the mud. I thought you didn't know anything about sport. <laughs> I was, I was, I was picked last for a lot of sports teams, Phoebe. I I know exactly how to play in the mud when other people are kicking a ball around. Aww, that's <laughs> cute. Um, yeah, it's just, it's just. Uh, we won't go too much more into it, but it's just like the constant messaging from the Labor Party is now getting to just an infuriatingly like insane beige white noise. Yeah, I don't even know what that means. It's just, I've, it's broken my brain. The fact that they can't find a position to stand on. And, mm. like, for poverty... Uh, I don't know, maybe maybe we're just not cynical enough about the average Australian voter and the people that they find in the polls. Maybe it is the fact that a lot of people out there really want people to be punished and don't want... Oh, wait, no, some uh, studies have come out recently saying about 72% of the Australian population would support an increase of uh, welfare to keep people out of poverty. So, <laughs> shit, I guess not. Here's my cost-cutting measure, um, is get rid of the Labor Party. Like, <laughs> Roll them into, is, the ANL, into the Because this is the thing. Well, well, if you rolled them into the, into the LNP, you'd have too many people doing the same job. Just get rid of the Labor Party. Because the LNP, like, I know what their purpose is. They're there to destroy the environment and make money for big donors and businesses. And they just generally be utter dickheads, um, cruel dickheads. And I don't like that, but some people do. So they're, they're, they're serving a purpose. The, the Greens and stuff, okay, they're pushing for human rights and the environment stuff, but the Labor Party is just taking up space in yeah. a really expensive way. Um, they're sitting there going, the government just said a thing. I uh, can't comment on that, though. Uh, oh, we'll be looking into it, but I can neither confirm or deny that human rights are good. Um, great, cool, you've just wasted all of our time. <laughs> These people get mad cash. Just cut them, just cut them. Luckily, uh, we've got a really accountable media uh, holding everyone to account. Um, uh, we're, we're not even we're not even going to go into how they covered all of that doll bludger stuff, but the, the the fact that they keep using the word doll bludger and the fact that we're all using the word doll bludger is um is enough. Uh, but there's there's new laws coming up about renters and landlords, and the media keeps framing any increase in renters' rights, and these are basic rights, as primarily something that will affect landlords. Tenants will have more than 100 new legal rights under the biggest shake-up of renting in 25 years. Landlords are scrambling to understand the extra responsibilities and fear their investments might be impossible to keep. So we, we saw this in a story from Channel 9 who have framed this 
this upcoming change in laws entirely as like how it'll affect landlords and starting with this like renters from hell story like i reckon they've got the b-roll ready to go and whenever anyone says rental they go fucking i got this great one about this guy whose rental property was trashed for trevor sanders one nightmare tenant was all it took rent stopped being paid then the home was trashed yeah to see it maliciously damaged like that i had a party during COVID as well it just blows my mind the retired electrician and property owner says his rental contract felt worthless. But I've got no power. The only way I'd get rid of the tenant was to sell. So we've decided to do that. I, I was trying to find some information on this. And one of the first um, articles I found was like, new laws will affect mum and dad landlords. Uh. And I'm like, okay. It might also affect mum and dad tenants, but fuck <laughs> them, am I right? Oh, another dimension I want to mention Um the consultation for this particular bundle of legislation and these regulations, it started in on the 12th of November 2019. Yeah. 2019 was the consultation opening. It closed in December 2019. The review of the submissions and the finalising of those regulations was all through December 2019 to April 2020. And the actual regulations have just been made available in January. But this discussion has been going on for two years now. And the framing of this story is basically as if all these poor landlords and mum and dad investors have been taken by surprise. Oh, and all these new laws and rights, it's going to make it impossible. I'm going to I'm gonna get out of the game. Oh, <laughs> land, the, landlords, you know, people have to respect them as the people who own the house. Oh, it's, I'm going to have to not... Own, good, I hope they get out of the game. I hope they sell their house. And maybe then someone who needs a home We'll have one, man. The like in that in that story, I, I want to flag right now. I want to put a clip in of uh, someone called uh, Leah from the Real Estate Institute of Victoria saying on camera with a human face that the governments just they just they just need to they just need to. Uh, I think I think governments have forgotten who owns the property. The rights of landlords seem to have been completely removed, and government seems to have forgotten who owns the property. <laughs> Excuse me. I'm more concerned about who lives in the property. It's property. It is a home. She's not talking Fuck. about the house. She's talking about the tenant. It's just... Who, we've got to remember who owns these people. <laughs> we, <laughs> that's um, so fucking we, So we should talk about the actual laws yeah, now. Yeah. Um, these laws are actually they're really good. good. The laws are sick. It's so <laughs> fucked. Yeah, they're so basic. I, I, when I say really good, they're like an increase of the bare minimum of what we have it's right so, now. <laughs> so obvious. Like it, it's good in the sense that like now we have better protections. I mean, we could definitely still use a lot more, but it's a good start. Um, and they come into effect in March. Some of these are insane because I didn't realize we needed them. So from March 29th, we're going to have some crazy new laws that are going to really make it hard for landlord, mum and dad investors to stay in the game, such as making sure they provide a working lockable toilet for renters. Oh, oh my God. Okay. <laughs> that had to be legislated this year. What, is a hole in the ground not good enough for tenants anymore? <laughs> oh, working stove and kitchen areas. That'd be great. Like the number of bloody houses that I've looked at, which didn't have a working stove when I was inspecting it. It's just amazing. I, I've like I've been in a house where the stove not only didn't work, but they replaced it with a stove that also didn't work. It was just fantastic. <laughs> <laughs> 
they've got to have adequate heating. Uh, they've got to have a heater in the lounge room. And if there isn't one, the landlord has to pay to have one put in. And it's got to meet basic efficiency standards. Ah, oh, boo. Green tape. Boo. Um, uh, just, I just want to frame, just quickly as well, before we hit some more of these, just keep in mind that every time a landlord like leaves the game of investing into property, then there's that's a house that someone else can buy. And hmm. if enough people leave, house prices can come down, and then people that just want to own a house can buy those houses. Yeah, so this idea of like, oh, the investors are going to leave. Good! Because the landlord doesn't provide a house. They just lock the door on a house. That's a fucking good lie. I'm going to steal that, actually, later. <laughs> oh, one, one of the new regulations, which I'm really happy about, which is like just basically now codified in law telling rental bidding apps to fuck off, is no accepting higher rents than the flat offer advertised. Mm. Fantastic. That's the way it should be. A lot of these regulations just cut a lot of the, like, dodgy corruption stuff that really helps landlords. Like, yeah, no rental bidding. You're not allowed to unlawfully... I love this. You you meant you're not allowed to unlawfully discriminate when refusing a rental application or issuing a notice to vacate. Previously, apparently, you could unlawfully discriminate. (laughs) Landlords, (laughs) Landlords now need to give a reason for kicking someone out. You can't just do it. You've got to at least fake a reason, like, oh, we want to move in or we want to sell the house. Um, and if you are selling the house and you've got house inspections coming around, like looking at this house that people live in being like, we want to buy this house so you're homeless, you've got to pay renters for their inconvenience, half a day's rent or $30, whichever is higher. Like, that's fantastic because people are coming into your home to try and buy it. Like, this shouldn't disadvantage you. Another one I want to hit is something that uh, McLean has a couple of times really elucidated well, um, is that landlords extract rent by the fear of eviction Mm. and so one of the things that's happening in the new legislation is that uh if a renter is overdue in a payment of rent but they pay it within 14 days after the due date um any notice to vacate from the landlord is invalidated and that can happen four times a year Mm. so you can be late on your rent essentially four times and if you pay it within a fortnight then the, they, they can't evict you for that. And that is fucking intense. Because they still got the money. That, that's the thing. That is something that landlords can hang over essentially every single renter by going, oh, you're a day late. Mm, would certainly be a shame if you couldn't get the money to me on time. I guess I'm going to have to evict you. It's like, now they just can't. Now, now renters have a very small taste of what it's like to be a business where you can just go into mountains of debt and it doesn't fucking matter. <laughs> no, so that's a, that's, a, that's a really, really good one because the amount of people I've heard from, um, you know, working with, working with Rahu at the moment of just like, just constantly being on a knife's edge, not knowing if their landlord or real estate agent is just going to give them the boot. Because like, you know, and some of this stuff as well, like the no fault eviction is just, that's insane that they didn't have to give a reason before. But all of that sort of stuff, puts pressure on the renter to be the renting version of the model employee. Like, mm. always meet my KPIs, always looking good. The house is never dirty. It's always really mm. good. I haven't touched any of the walls, I promise. And now it's like, oh, cool. In a small sense, I can breathe a small sigh of relief and have a little bit of comfort in my own home. That's a good point. Because in uh, some places in America, they have like, uh, they don't have to give a reason to fire somebody. Yeah, it's called at will employment. Right. And whenever I hear about that, I'm always shocked because it sounds terrible. But the fact that you can do that with someone's house is even worse. Just like, ah, you know what? Get out. Yeah. Um, 
I'm I'm gonna resist like just reading all 200 pages of this PDF like yeah. online. Um, but I highly encourage you if you are a tenant or fucking a landlord. Um, if, <laughs> sorry, if we haven't already gotten rid of all the landlords, if you're a nice <laughs> landlord, um, <laughs> send us a picture. Um, but like Bigfoot, um, read this. Because it's so important to know your rights. And it has saved me hundreds of dollars over my renting life. Maybe even thousands. Just knowing some basic rental rights. Like, ah, uh, you're not allowed to charge me $350 for a tenant transfer. That's actually not a thing you're allowed to do. A lot of people don't know their rights. Um, so I just want to say one more because this is actually relevant. I had a colleague once whose power bill was really, really high. And we, we looked at her, her like breakdown of her power usage. And it turned out like 70% of her power usage was going into a hot water system at 2 a.m. at night. Um, oh, wow. Turns out they had some, yeah, they had some like World War II electric hot water system that was like leaking and, and, and just wasting just mad amounts of power. Um, oh, wow. Because their landlord had, was just like, ah, fuck it, you've got hot water. Yeah, it's a bit old, it's inefficient. Whatever. Oh, God, that's now, just made me think I should check my power. <laughs> absolutely. Everybody, check your power. Um, a good power company will give you a breakdown of when during the day your power is used. And if you see a spike of 80% of your power, like, at night when you're not even up, something funny is there. Um, if a, so, it's new law. If a renter receives an excessive utility bill attributable to a hidden fault, like a leaking water pipe or something, the rental provider has to cover the costs that exceed ordinary usage. So if you've got a fucked hot water system or some part of your house is shit and it's losing you money, normally a landlord will be like, oh, well, what are you going to do? Um, now they are on the hook for that. So that's fantastic. These these changes really do strike me as like what legislation is supposed to do, oh, which yeah. is mm. change behavior before it gets to a problem. Like the point of that specific one isn't about like, well, you just have to pay the bill that's over and above the problem because, you mm. you know, th- the point is you need to make sure that there isn't that type of problem when you start a yeah. lease with someone. And it's, it's just it's your just, landlord's problem. It's just basic. Again, this is the thing with the fucking, the job seeker rate being raised. It's just the bare minimum mm. required yeah. for living with dignity as a human being. That's what I was saying before. Like in terms of like, these are all fantastic changes and I'm very happy about it, but... I want to stress again, for me, these are the bare minimum sort of things for dignity in a house that is not your own. Like, you know, I already hate the idea of having to like, you know, live through this kind of situation where we have to be so, um, we have to like, you know, bow down to landlords in order to like get scraps. But Mm. even like, you know, and now that like, you know, it's slightly more improved and I feel slightly less, you know, scared about getting kicked out of my own home. But yeah, yeah, it, it is the bare minimum. Uh, one thing I just want to also put in a shout out at the end here is to say, if you are at all unsure about how this new legislation will affect you or whether you feel like, you know, this means that you could finally fix up some shit in your house. Like, you know, if you move into a place and there's like bugs everywhere or, you know, your your landlord is not, you know, taking care of urgent repairs, um, contact the Renters and Housing Union. <laughs> Got to put yeah. in the shout out. These guys are, are our favourite. We do a lot of work with them as well. Get in contact with them. Hit them up with some questions and say, hey, something's up with my lease. What's the go? And they'll be able to help you out. 
Hundred uh, percent. The other thing I want to stress as well is that these are coming into effect from March 29th, and this is for Victoria, not national. So suck shit, New South Wales. <laughs> Woo! Sorry, New South nice. Wales. Solidarity. <laughs> Look, I I do hope this is like demonstrative of like I mean yes, it should be a national um sort of regulation, but I hope it's demonstrative for other states as well, mm, especially yeah. considering how expensive rent can be in you know WA and New South Wales too. Just as a, as a little quick story, I found out yesterday that all of Victoria's number plates are made in a prison with prison labour uh, on a wage of up to $9 a day. That's like $2 an hour, which uh, I'm sure you can tell is effectively slavery. Um, if you were paying them nothing, that would only be $9 less a day. Um, and they're prisoners. And they're prisoners. They don't, <laughs> have a, they don't have a choice about anything, and we're forcing them to make number plays. I didn't. This is like some America shit. And, and, and you know how we found out? We found out because <laughs> the Victorian Labor MP Natalie Hutchins, she's the member for Sydenham and Minister for Corrections and Crime Prevention, Youth Justice, and Victim so Support, decided to mm-hmm. tweet it out there. She just tweeted she's real it proud. out. She just posted a picture. We found out because this weird labor goon was like posted a picture of her smiling next to some things, being like, "How good slave labor?" Like, Pardon what? <laughs> Look, actually, yeah, what? it's so cool. I know we're being glib about this. I know we're being glib about this, but this is like one of those things where I think it's very interesting to re-examine your perspectives about what you think about prisons, about rehabilitation, about recidivism, because I think there's a lot of inbuilt conditioning that a lot of us have had about the prison system and the justice system and what it means to be a prisoner and be rehabilitated and uh, you know what you do in a prison Um, and one of the things that I think people don't really think about is what is considered rehabilitation and transitioning back into society it turns Mm. out that it like you know she's Natalie Hutchins has tweeted this in all honesty. She probably really thinks it's a great idea that prisoners get to do (laughs) what she considers to be honest work. They're doing something that will help them get a job on the outside. But, but yeah, so let me read out the tweet. She says, did you know that all of Victoria's number plates are made at the Hopkins Correctional Centre in Ararat? This is a crucial part of rehabilitating prisoners and transitioning them back into society. Now, a well-meaning, I say that with like very big air quotes, a well-meaning person would look at that and say, oh, isn't that nice? You know, they're not selling drugs on the inside. They're not backing each other up. They've got a job. They're doing honest work. Uh, Obviously, this is not the case. They're they're expected to work at least sixty hours a fortnight and get paid up to up to nine dollars a day. Yeah, nine dollars a day with bonuses. Yeah, (laughs) sixty hours a fortnight for nothing. Yeah, Jesus. Yeah, (laughs) I agree, Benji. And that's like that. But no, you're you're right in that. There's just no examination of like like, this is a crucial part of rehabilitating prisoners. How is that? Yeah. 
Sorry, so in, in what in what way is menial repetitive labor that doesn't even remunerate them properly in any way going to make someone not bitter about the shit society and power structures above them that crushed them exactly. while they were incarcerated? So this is what, what are I you mean? talking about? This is what I mean about thinking about what we think about when it comes to rehabilitating prisoners. Like what do what exactly goes on in the inside that we think is rehabilitation? And, and like this is something now that we've we've suddenly learned that that's right. Victoria uses slave labor essentially to make their number plates. Um, a couple of weeks ago, um, uh, uh, there were some policy suggestions to use prisoners to pick fruit in Victoria. It wasn't mm. an official policy, but it was floated on the table. We'll go back. We'll put in the show notes. We'll put the actual episode where we talked about this. Um, mm. So it is something that has been on the table for various things. I'd be very interested to see what other things, what other government services are assisted by slave labor. If you know something about it, slide into our DMs and tell us. <laughs> um, but yeah, like, it, like I, I would love this to open a conversation of. What do people think about rehabilitation? Why, like you know, why is this something that we have used for so long and just nobody talks about it or considers it to well, be good? I mean, I think that this might also. We're focusing on the thing where she says it's rehabilitation, and I think that's just like yes, obviously that's bullshit. But I think um, she knows it's bullshit. Like no one here's the story of a of a convict come good and they go oh look you know what really turned my life around was when i was when i was spending 30 <laughs> 30 hours a week stamping license plates for no money um and i was like yeah i should be a productive member of society no it's- that's not rehabilitation like sure maybe you've got some other things in prison that are rehabilitating people maybe you've got some great therapy or some some book learnings and stuff but stamping number plates it's not they- rehabilitating shit it's what they consider to be what their image of a good member of society quote unquote is it's someone who will take the work that they're given and do it like a good little surf it's it's like breaking rocks yeah. it's the modern version of breaking rocks it's that oh we can beat them down through repetitive menial tasks until we've crushed their spirit so that they no longer like want to do crimes. I will just say again, because McLean's not on the podcast this week, that if you look at this through the framing that they really want to punish people because they think they're evil and gross. Yeah. yeah. It makes a bit more sense. I mean, absolutely. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. It's a level of punishment and conditioning. Maybe they're rehabilitating people uh, to the, like, because when these prisoners get out of prison back into society, maybe we'll all be working for 60 hours a fortnight for $9 a day <laughs> and they'll be used to it. But the thing is as well, you can't go past the, especially in Australia, we're a nation of cops. This We're talking a lot about rehabilitation, but a lot of people just want punishment. Yeah. You break the law, you get punished. It's a punishment. Yeah, they should be being punished. Australia, well, yeah. a nation of cops. And that's that's the thing as well. Like We can talk about like how does this rehabilitate people, but it's just like... Yeah, people really just want, and that's the thing as well. Some of these laws are bullshit. They shouldn't. Some of these people making these fucking uh, number plates shouldn't be in there if we were running a moral society. But instead, haha, you get punished. That's what happens to you. And so, yeah, of course you can. I guess rehabilitation is maybe just code for punishment. Sometimes, but then I mean, a lot of a lot of different parties in the run up to elections talk about being tough on crime, like how yeah. they wanted to put, like up in Queensland when they were announcing that there's going to be curfews for young people and we're going to throw the book at them and we're going to refuse to raise the age of people that can be thrown in jail and like people just like kicking people below them in some instances and it's gross and mm. this is a bummer of a way to end the podcast. Jesus Christ, <laughs> 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 fuck. <laughs> 
Shout outs this week. Oh, this feels weird, but we were going to talk about how Victoria is pretty good at funding video games compared to the rest of Australia. Um, <laughs> but we did just talk about how Victoria uses slave labor. So now I feel strange about it. Um, <laughs> but you might not know. I'm, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to carry through. You might not know that Australia makes a bunch of sweet video games and Victoria especially because we actually have some video game funding uh, as part of our like arts, film kind of media funding stuff. A lot of Australia doesn't include video games in that, but Victoria does. Um, They can always do it more, but a lot of people don't realize like Untitled Goose Game, Hollow Knight, Crossy Road, Bioshock, we're all made in Australia. Um, it, it's a it's a fundamental recognition of video games as part of the arts, which is great. I'm a I'm a big yeah. fan of of recognizing that formally and giving money to people in that regard. And also just to uh, just put in a just to shout out Untitled Goose Game again. Um, they pay what one percent of their income forever as for to pay the rent, which is fabulous. Yeah. Love them. These games aren't just like oh little arty games. This game sold fucking millions and millions of copies. This was one of the biggest games in the world when it came out, and it's this indie game made in Victoria that probably most people who don't play video games have never heard of. Video games are as big as movies, and on the world stage they're bigger. They are a bigger industry than movies, and Australia is still stuck in the past trying to recreate Crocodile Dundee when we should be trying to recreate Ty the Tasmanian Tiger. Oh, oh, that's a d- oh. <laughs> deep cuts in the shout-outs. <laughs> Some stories that we didn't get to this week, um, but we'll recommend some other podcasts to listen to. So there was some developments into um, the Facebook debacle that we spoke about on last week's episode. Uh, we definitely do not have the time or the space to be talking about that or even perhaps the intelligence. <laughs> so we're going <laughs> to put two links in the podcast to two of our favourite podcasts, um, an episode called Banning Australia on This Machine Kills and also to Lizzie O'Shea talking on Tech Won't Save Us. So listen to those. We mentioned as well already the Renters and Housing Union. We do a lot of good work with those guys. And with the really cool changes to the Victorian rental legislation is also coming the end of the eviction moratorium at the end of March. And so we talked a lot as well about this episode about knowing your rights. And if you know your rights, you can, you know, start to fight back. But it turns out fighting back against real estate agents and landlords is heaps easier when you have a union of people just as fired up as you wanting to fight side by side with you. So I cannot more highly recommend getting in touch with Rahu as soon as you can, becoming a Dupang member and getting involved as well because we're always looking for new people to do new roles because it's growing pretty quickly because as it turns out, renters are getting fucked day in and day out in this country and when the eviction moratorium ends at the end of march shit's going to get worse so Mm. highly highly recommend getting in touch with rahu when you can um whether you've got problems or whether you want to help out another tiny little thing i want to call out is a delightful podcast called the pop test which is run by comedians andy matthews and alistair tremblay birchall where they just it's a it's a fun little comedy like quiz show where they have some experts and some comedians on and they talk about one particular topic in science and it's just fucking delightful every week when it comes up in my podcast feed i'm really like 
just a little giddy to have like a little moment of just like, ooh, I'm going to forget about all the horrible shit the Labour Party are doing. <laughs> it's just really nice. I highly recommend checking out the pop test. Um, and I also want to quickly shout out, um, if you listen to the pod, you probably enjoy our little notes uh, on the website, which have references and links to everything we've talked about. And I came across a list which is like that, but way better. It's a complete list of every bit of bullshit the current government has done. 900 and something things um, of, of like all their little bits of corruption, all catalogued with little links. It's a good read and it's a great reference. Um, so we'll put a link to that. It's by, um, it's by Matthew Davis uh, on his website and it was also linked by The Chaser. Thanks again for listening to Not Good Enough. You can get in touch with us on all the socials at Not Good Pod or email us at notgoodpod at protonmail.com. As you, as you heard from us today, we've gotten some feedback already. We would love to hear more. Give us your tips. Give us your fun gossip. Send it all in to us. <laughs> Have a little piggies for gossip. <laughs> Not Good Enough is recorded on the lands of the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation. We pay our respects to their elders past, present and emerging and acknowledge that sovereignty was never ceded.